We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Victory over the Portland Trailblazers, 17 and 2. I have sitting in the uh, the primary writer of the GS Dub Fast Break blog on at the SF Chronicle, Vinesh. Vinesh, how are you doing, my man? I'm doing fantastic, Sam. Uh, how are you doing today? Oh, you know, it's good. It, this is how I know the Warriors are truly back. This was a delightfully boring game. Like, I don't even know how else to describe it. At at no point did it feel like Portland threatened them, even though the Warriors never really blew. I mean, they blew the game open in the third, but it was always kind of in the balance. But at any point were you like worried Portland was actually going to threaten the result? No, not really. And I think you you said it. This is the Warriors are back. Uh, It feels like 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, all over again, um, despite an entirely new cast of characters. Um, and, you know, what's the phrase? The more things change, the more they stay the same. Portland did change a lot. Um, their defensive style is different. They refused to get their heads blown off and drop coverage against Steph. They were handsy, physical. Um, and Fernay Simons went nuts. And yet, if you look at the result, the Warriors won by 15 again. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think it, it feels a lot like dynastic warriors and a quote-unquote ho-hum victory is just what the doctor ordered with some big inks coming up in the next couple weeks yeah so this was what their eighth or ninth game in a row they won by double digits um at home anyway it it just feels like no one's threatening them they have had a favorable schedule but for sure on the other hand you got to take care of your business and they've done that um discussing the game so so like the first the first thing that sticks out in my mind is Steph Curry literally gets whatever he wants versus Portland. 32 yep. points, 12 for 25. I don't feel – I didn't even feel like he took 25 shots, to be honest. Like, most of the game, it was like, I'm going to do what I can to get Wiggins going, to get Jordan Poole going, get um, Looney, Looney at 12 points. Anytime Looney gets in double digits, you know, you know, yep. it's a concerted effort. It, it, it didn't feel like Steph was hunting it, and – and yet he ends with 32, 7, and 8, and just kind of like, I don't know, 
if he, if he needed to, I'm sure he could have got 50. That's how this game felt. For sure. I think that the magical thing about Steph at this point is he has a game where he puts up 32, 7, and 8 with a steal, a couple turnovers, shoots 12 of 25 from the field, 6 of 15, and you're like, man, he left some stuff on the table. And that's yeah. the standard you hold him to at this point. He's he's inhuman, honestly. I, I tweeted it during the game. I continue to think it. Um, I was in particular impressed, though, by the diversification. I think that also goes back to what you said about him getting whatever he wants against Portland. His three-point shot wasn't falling. He was 6 of 15 on the night, left a bunch of points on the table on wide open looks from three. And so at the end of the game, what does he do? He decides, I'm just going to score inside in every which way, around people, over people, through people. Um, he's He can get whatever he wants, like you said, against Portland. And I think that's Portland's problem, right? I think before the game, I read they were the 28th-ranked defense in the league out of 30 teams. It shows. Um, and the, the strategies are different. The tactics are different. No more drop coverage. No more bigs on an island against Steph. It doesn't matter. Steph gets 32. Wiggins gets 25. Poole gets 14. Looney and Draymond get 12. All five starters and double figures. On a night where you don't have a bunch of players available, that's impressive. Yeah, and so, so let's talk about that. So, so Wiggins, the second leading scorer, he had 25. I don't feel like he really tried either. Like it was <laughs> at his first, his first basket of the game was kind of an aggressive move off the dribble, off a dribble handoff. That was nice. And then from there on out, it was just like spot up cut that they couldn't yep. find and just rinse and repeat. I think that might've been his only self created shot of the whole game, which kind of just speaks to, I don't know, Portland's not good on defense, like literally one pass and the Warriors have them out of sync. And to the larger point, I think the thing that stood out to me the last couple weeks is the Steph pool Wiggins three man combination is really starting to fit together. And like, Mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense. You got Steph's obviously the superstar, but Poole is a secondary creator. He had five assists tonight. And I don't think that really does justice in a game where the Warriors were sloppy. He totally. was he was fairly sure-handed handling the ball uh, off of the Philly game, which I thought was probably his best game in terms of creating plays for everyone else. Um, he's, he's proving to be a pretty reliable secondary scoring option. And then Wiggins being kind of the athletic, finisher around them is just you know it's it's a cut here it's a spot up there next thing you know he's like five for eight with 12 (laughs) points going into the half and just rinse and repeat it's like it's a very balanced perimeter scoring attack in a way that they just outside of when they had Kevin Durant who you know tends to kind of just make everything work you know when you have Kevin Durant and Steph Curry nothing else really matters but like outside of that like it's the most balanced three-man combination they've had out there, I don't know, pretty much during the run, right? Forever, right? And I think it it's something that I think I've seen on Twitter quite a bit. I know Light Years and yourself and Andy were clamoring for it last year. Right. By putting Steph and Jordan Poole together, you now turn Wiggins from bail us out, get your own shot, to exclusively focusing on a steady diet of easy or easier looks, relatively speaking which is how you end up with Wiggins going 10 for 16, three of five from three with 25 points plus 21 on the night. Like you said, without even seeming to try, like he was engaged, locked in. And all he had to do was basically get matched up against shorter defenders and finish over around through them. Um, And so I think 
this the discovery of this triumvirate now pays dividends later when you also add someone like a Clay Thompson or James Wiseman back to the mix because you can't cheat anymore. The 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 Curry Pool Wiggins trio is doing their damage with two non-entities on offense, right? You've got Draymond who's improved significantly this year but is still not a, a super necessarily everyone, guard, everyone right? knows who wants to pass. Yeah, exactly. Ball. Exactly. So for them to be this effective while holding the quote-unquote saddlebags of Draymond and Looney afloat on offense, that's impressive. And so when you start tic-tac-toeing and you take out a Draymond and put in a Belitz, you take out a Looney and put in Otto Porter Jr., um, or tonight when you throw Chris Gioza out there for, for 13 minutes, there's a lot of different looks, but the success of that three-man unit is really impressive, like you said, and it really bodes well for the playoffs when teams are going to be keying even more off of Steph, if at all possible. I don't know if it is at this point. And you've got two secondary scores to release the pressure. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really curious what they do when Clay comes in because Clay is one of the easiest fits ever. Like, of course, he's pr- probably the best off ball player in the NBA. Like, the only player who's potentially who's better than him is his teammate Steph. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Clay is just a he's a play finisher. Comes off a pin down. If it ends up with Clay shooting the ball, it's a good possession. Whether he makes it or misses it, it's as good a look as you're going to get, right? He's also a great cutter. Um, we'll see how he looks athletically coming off it. But again, he just in some ways they're using Wiggins like they used Clay. Not as much coming off of screen shooting because that's not Wiggins' game, but a lot of like play ends with him spotting up in the corner or him cutting off of an overhelping defender. They're using him in the same way. So I'm going to be interested to see how they play Wiggins and Clay together. Um, but with Jordan Poole, I mean, the combo of Steph and Poole, it's just, it's it's really hard for teams to guard when you know the guard next to Steph can actually create off the bounce. So if you send two to three bodies at Steph, you, you're not just creating a four on three for Draymond. You're creating you're creating easier lanes for Jordan Poole. Definitely. I think the other interesting part here is how well they're starting to play off of each other. Playing with Steph, as we know, is different than just about anyone in the league because he's so unique. Um, and we saw last year the the effects of a square peg round hole situation with a variety of players who are no longer with the Warriors. Um, shout out Kelly Oubre. Yeah. yeah, who had a great game tonight, by the way. Um, I, I think he's the textbook definition of he's got one kind of role in the NBA and the Warriors weren't able to give it to him. Um, but I thought the most encouraging sign was a, a moment, I think in the, the second or third quarter, I can't remember exactly when, uh, Steph or maybe Gary Payton, someone creates a steal. Jordan Poole brings the ball up the court at full speed. Looks like he's going to launch something, but stops, turns around, shovels it to Steph who hits a three. And then they celebrate right after that's the kind of awareness that they're starting and the rapport that they're building together. And that's going to make a huge difference as you start to get into the playoffs um, and as you get deeper into the season and you add a clay to that mix, I'm curious to hear what you think, Sam. I don't know that you can pull off the kinds of janky defenses that have been thrown at Steph since 2019 with this kind of, of release valves all around the court for Steph. Even no, if you take this. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, no, you can't. That's, that's the whole point of putting more threats around him. And that's, what's been kind of uh Crazy. So, so like they clearly leaned into offense a little more this year. Uh, starting Jordan Poole, traditionally not a Steve Kerr type of shooting guard like Kerr yep. wants length and uh, versatile defenders. Although Jordan Poole's a scrappier defender than he gets credit for. Definitely, um, he he definitely isn't afraid to mix it up with guys. He's just young, so it's gonna take him a minute to figure some stuff out. But um, 
in general, they haven't played that type of player. And then you throw in like Otto Porter, Bielitsa, not players known for defense. But it, it hasn't really seemed to matter because Draymond is playing at an all-defensive level these days. And they're just so engaged as a unit. Also, you throw in guys like Wiggins and Juan yep. and, you know, Iggy didn't play tonight, but Iguodala has been excellent when he has played. Gary Payton, the second, like they have enough perimeter defenders that – they don't need like Jordan Poole to be like a stopper. They just need him to stick to the game plan, so to say, right? Exactly. And he's done a pretty good job of it. I think that on defense, he's competing. There's a there's a lot of junkyard dog in him, I think is the word uh, Juan Descano Anderson used after the game um, yeah. on, on Wednesday. He, he mixes it up and he's got that kind of swagger, um, which kind of gives him, it's why he goes at Draymond and Draymond goes at him and he goes at Kerr and Kerr goes at him. Uh, if he stuck to the script on both ends of the floor, he hasn't gotten lost. He competes. He scraps. Uh, the results speak for themselves. Just I know single game plus minus is an incredibly noisy metric, but right. he was a team and game high plus 23 on the night. Now, does that match the eye test? Maybe, probably, but I think it's just another little piece of evidence to show Jordan's making a leap and he's going to be in the running for most improved player. Um, there's a lot of competition for that, of course, but his growth from two years ago on that horrific 2019-2020 or 2018 sorry 2019-2020 team to now is meteoric it's amazing yeah i feel like it's between him tyler here on miles bridges and probably just gonna be like you know pick your flavor all year because like yeah all all three have gone from like they're talented but a little enigmatic to like oh that's 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 pretty good player you know like i'm excited to see what they're going to turn into in the coming years. So I don't know, not, not that, you know, uh, game 19 of the seasons when we should be discussing it, but like, <laughs> for sure. that's your, that's your uh, most improved player uh, watch of the week. I guess you could say um, Warriors have the cl- So now it's getting tougher. They have the Clippers Sunday for what is the ultimate trap game Sunday, <laughs> yeah. at, n- Sunday at noon in LA. I mean, the hangover, I, I just don't even want to know. Um, for 20th game of the season, and the Clippers have been excellent. Um, are they better than you think? Or are they better than you expected going into the season? Sorry, that's what I meant to say. Yeah, I think they are. Now, I, I will say, I was my, the blog father, Adam, tweeted after the game that Sunday is the ultimate trap game. So he agrees with you, and I agree with him. You've got right. Steph at Staples. You've got two big marquee matchups against Phoenix coming up away and home. Um, yeah, I, 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 Adam thinks it's a scheduled loss. I am slightly more optimistic because you know that Steve Kerr is going to be preaching from today onwards. Like everyone's saying it's a scheduled loss. Look what Adam's tweeting about you. Um, and yeah. they putting it on the bulletin board. LA has been impressive. I think I'm not incredibly surprised because what I saw in the playoffs from them in particular from Paul George, who kind of shed the somewhat unfair, you know, playoff P moniker and, and turned into or the pandemic P moniker and turned into playoff P they've been good. Um, I think them, they defend them and they they, defend They're um, you know, I kind of feel bad for them because the Kawhi situation. Yeah. Um, But like on paper, they have built a roster that is actually going to be a pain for the Warriors. If they ever get Kawhi back healthy, because they're, they can switch everything and they actually have, they're the only other team, maybe not the only, but they come their first that pops to mind where I'm like, they have as many, if not more multi-positional defenders who can switch everything on the Warriors, which 
is probably the best way to guard a Steph Curry-led team in general. Um, Definitely. Now, you know, until Kawhi comes back, they're still just kind of a a nice team who will be difficult as opposed to contender to me. But it's going to be a tricky game. Like, if if you remember game two when the Warriors played the Clippers – yeah, if Steph doesn't go nuclear. I don't think the Warriors win that game. Like Steph put up 45 and they needed every one of them because I don't think the Warriors played particularly well outside of Steph just having one of those games where it's like, I don't care if you're switching on to me, Paul George, I will hit the 28 footer. Yeah. And that was an interesting game because that was the birth of the original. It was the return of the Steph bail us out at the end of crunch time game. Um, two of which the Warriors have lost right against the Grizzlies and against the Hornets. The right. LA Clippers game is the one that they ended up pulling out. I agree with you. The, the roster, I'm just looking up and down here. You've got so many incredible defenders. Batum, uh, PG-13, Reggie Jackson is much improved on the defensive end. Eric Kawhi, when come, of course. When he's, uh, yeah, when, he's in his, when he's engaged, can definitely play defense. Terrence Mann, Marcus Morris, um, and, and Zubox is not a, a bad option at center. He at least, he's a credible defender who's not going to get his head blown off and drop coverage. But also, kind of extending off that point, Ty Lu is the one coach who I trust more than anyone to find a way to gum up the Warriors. Um, and he's done a remarkable job with all the injuries and stuff. So I agree. I think this is a really good team. They're a Kawhi away from being great. I just think back to this offseason when the Warriors were in the running for someone like a Batum. The addition by subtraction would have been delightful at this point in the season if you're like, oh, you you take Batum off the Clippers roster, add him to the Warriors. That... I don't know why I feel so strongly about one player being such a game changer, but just like emotionally, right. It feels like it changes the dynamic of the kinds of multi-positional kind of three and D threats that the Clippers can throw out there. I think at the risk of getting egg on my face, I think the Warriors may actually get up for this game. Um, One, someone pointed out in the comments just now, it's now crypto.com arena. So maybe that ends the Steph hex at Staples. Like you just changed the name of the arena. By the way, way, can can we talk about the Staples first? It apparently only applies to Lakers because he's ah, had so true. many ridiculous games against the Clippers, and they they both they light the arena differently. So it could be the lighting thing, like Lakers go with the um, the mood lighting more than the Clippers, yeah, I guess. But it. like, but for whatever reason, and and by the way, just so we're clear, the uh, the Clippers have been better than the Lakers for majority of. Steph's career so it's not like uh, well the Lakers have had a better team it's like yeah. you know during the entire like D'Lo, Josh Hart, Julius Randle 20 win Lakers yep they still just couldn't figure anything out at Staples so it's definitely not a competition level and yes Mark is right he did have 37 in the play-in but like it is a uh we have like a decade of samples of like games in which for no rhyme or reason like i'm not giving the lakers credit here it's just like yeah you know it is what it is i know what you're saying yeah there have been some blips on the radar so to speak where steph does go off against the lakers at staples (laughs) the vast majority of the maybe it's just the the confirmation bias or the i don't know some of those ugly clunkers that steph has thrown up stand out more in my mind than the games where he succeeded yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I also am reading that the crypto.com stuff doesn't happen until think or Christmas, I believe. So it's still staples. So you can, maybe you can disregard. Maybe you can give us one last five for 20 in staples. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before they change the name for good and hopefully turn the page on this. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, let's get to some callers here. Um, yeah, obviously, j- just highlighting it. Clippers on Sunday, and then we get the Sun stuff, which we're going to preview on the next couple pods. But let's get to some callers. Sound off on whatever you want. Tonight's game, upcoming stuff. Let's go. Ryan, what's up, bro? Nothing much. I'm going to be at the game on Sunday, so hoping for uh, Steph not to have his uh, Sunday church hangover. <laughs> yeah. What's up, man? But, yeah, other than that, this – was exactly like the 14, 15 wins where you just get up 15, then you raise your eyebrow, like, wait one second, it's 10, and then it gets back up to 18. And it, it just always felt like a game the Warriors would win. And we didn't even have our entire bench. It's just like we basically own Portland. You can see it in Damian Lillard's eyes that he's just defeated. He has no answers for this uh, Warriors team. And uh, I have one question for you, Sam. If What's you up? were to be in a two-seater with one NBA player, who would it be? In a two-seater? This is yeah, a it's... great question. Wow, you're catching me off guard with this question. What player do I want to go on a road trip in a two-seat car with? <laughs> oh, I think I gotta go. With, I think I gotta go with Draymond Green. There's no way that that won't be the most entertaining ride of your life. You know, he he might bully you. He might do stand-up comedy, um, but either way, you're getting a story out of it. But yeah, who you got? I I was gonna say Clay, just because of the entertainment factor. If it's anything like anything he says on Instagram or in press conference or a combination of the two, I think it would give Draymond a run for his money. 
if it's all of sports, my answer, my answer is Marshawn Lynch. Um, Cause I figured that would be completely entertaining. It's basketball player Draymond. Uh, it's gotta be one of those two players would be the most exciting, at least for fans of my and your proclivities, Sam. I like it. I like it. Clay's a great answer. Uh, Marshawn is also a great answer uh, for the non-basketball ones. Obviously taking a Bay Area bias. That's cool, though. Okay, let's keep moving. CJ, what's going on, man? Hey, what's going on, man? Um, Yeah, interesting game. But I have a question regarding, like, Kirby's minutes. He played 38 minutes tonight, and the rotation is kind of funny. Do you think, like... For close games, especially when, like the Cavalier games, was like a great example where he pushed Kerr, pushed Curry's minutes. Do you think, like, for close games against better teams, where Curry might have to play the whole fourth quarter? And yeah, basically that. Ooh, I like it. So let's discuss let's discuss Steph's new rotation pattern. So just to describe it, and and tell me if I'm missing anything here, but it's. They're basically trying to get him somewhere between three to five minutes, usually about four, in the middle of every quarter. So he'll go out somewhere between the seven and six-minute mark and come back in somewhere between the four and two-minute mark. So he opens and closes every quarter. It's kind of it's kind of a change because I'm just so used to like Steph, you know, full yep. quarter, sit, then come back in full quarter. Um and and they've been they've been what experimenting this what like about two weeks now maybe three weeks yeah it's I think end of the homestand beginning of the road trip and beyond um, the other analogy I can give for this sorry Sam you cut you off just to jump in is it's like kind it. of a LeBron substitution pattern because yeah. he does the same thing he comes out comes back in and it's I understand the logic for it it's the how much coverage can you get out of Steph just in terms of like time elapsed in a game. And it's just redistributing the minutes so you're never kind of away from shore without a Steph life preserver for more than a couple of minutes at a time. And you know there's a chance to slip him back in and maybe catch him a couple minutes extra somewhere else, I think is the motivation here. And I think um, part of it comes from you want your best players opening and closing quarters because they can really apply pressure in those moments. Like great players, you know, when a game's going poorly – Yep. can make a game go from we're down 15 to we go into the half down seven. Definitely. And for that, for whatever reason, that stuff really matters. You know, it, you come back in and it's a seven point game instead of like, Oh God, it's like we're down 14, 15 and we need to be perfect. Cause if they hit two shots, we're down 20 and it's, it just feel like it just feels different. Right. It's, it's really a feel thing. You've climbed the emotional kind of hill, like you, you've crested the mountaintop and now it's like you've got, I know momentum in sports is a, is a hot topic and one that we should probably shouldn't spend too much time on, but emotionally it feels better. Exactly. And I agree with you on the topic of the question. I think the 38 tonight has a little bit more to do with the availability of players and then perhaps the level of competition and Steve Kerr's competitiveness I say this only because it felt like just a natural kind of organic, oh, we, we're just, we're kind of rolling here. Let's close this thing out. Um, and obviously you're, you're lacking a lot of bodies that you'd normally throw out there to kind of soak up a couple of minutes. Um, and also this is, I want to say the first time Steph got above that 36 mark, he's been right at it for a couple of games um, in a while. So I, 
I think it's interesting. I don't anticipate this happening all too often. Um, I just think organically, you know, we're chasing wins this year, right? And Steve decided, let's go for it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The Warriors only had 10 available bodies, one being two-way contract, Chris Chioza, a.k.a. Evil Steph. So I do think part of it was like he just didn't have an extra body to throw out there to buy Steph a couple minutes here and there. Um, yeah. But that is, he does bring up, uh, the caller did bring up an ex- excellent point. Like the thing about this substitution pattern is it is easier to take Steph from, let's say 34 minutes to 38, 39 minutes if you yep. need to. Um, and I think that's part of the logic. Uh, it, it is a little strange to see Steve Kerr do it in a, late November game against a Portland team that you kind of owned the whole way through anyway. But I don't know in general, Steve hasn't, or sorry, Steph hasn't really played extended minutes. And even when you look at the schedule, yes, they have the Clippers on Sunday, but then they play Phoenix Tuesday, two days off Friday. They play three games in seven days. As long as the schedule is, favorable with kind of like three games in a week. I think they feel comfortable extending guys minutes. It's when you get into those, you know, four and five nights. I mean, there's not too many of them in the schedule or like five and eight games or something where it's a little more rapid pace. That's where you see Kerr pull back or even do something like he did against Detroit where it's like, you know, totally. what? we went after it against Cleveland. We got the win. Let's just give the, I'd rather give him three extra minutes tonight and rest him tomorrow than do this thing where I'm playing him like 33 minutes rigidly and like throwing games away. Definitely. I'll add one tiny detail here, which is the fact that Steph is not super comfortable with this. And he's right in, in as in his classic, like very politically correct way. He's made that fairly clear. You know, he's not jumping yeah. for joy at this. He's, he's kind of muttering under his breath. He's like, you know, I'll, I'll give it a try. It's kind of awkward for me. And he said a bunch of stuff about it. I think the fact that you can, the fact that Steve Kerr is willing to try it and Steph is willing to try it speaks volumes about their competitiveness and their willingness to be flexible. Change is never comfortable. You want to, I don't know, try to train for a half marathon, um, which I say from experience, it's uncomfortable. Like you're going to put yourself in weird positions. So the fact they're willing to try it, um, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. It does, like, I think for Steph, he's about to get into a rhythm. He's a notoriously, like, rhythm-based player, and then he has to go to the bench, right, when he's about to kind of lock in. I hear him, but I think this pattern is the results speak for themselves. The Warriors are winning a ton of games with it. Yeah, I almost want to see this pattern against some better teams. Like, the Phoenix games, I don't want to say early December is a test, but, like, they are the second best team in the NBA record wise. They are arguably playing better basketball than the Warriors 15 in a row. Yeah. Um, at worst, they're playing comparable basketball and it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how the Warriors play against a team that they will quote unquote feel some adversity. Like the reason this Portland game is boring and yeah. believe me, it's, it's never boring to watch the Warriors and Steph Curry. And we didn't even give Draymond the love he really deserved. I thought Draymond was, amazing all truly but um the reason it was it's boring is like at no point did i think they were gonna lose at no point did did you feel adversity hit them you know and maybe maybe this next week we'll see them get into uh you know a quote-unquote dogfight or one of those games where you're like man things are going the way that you know someone has taken away their first and second option what's their third option right 
Like yeah. Portland, Portland doesn't take away anything from them. Portland made them think about how they wanted to attack a different coverage for about a half a quarter. Yep. No, I think it's a really good point. I, my take is the, the Portland games are the quarter season benchmark. Sorry, not the Portland game. The Phoenix games are the quarter season benchmark. They get you right up to that kind of 21st, 22nd game. You're right at a quarter way through the season. And it's it's a gut check time. And you know the Warriors are going to get up for it because they look down at the standings. There's like we you know Chris Paul's going to get up for it too. Of course. He's he's been getting up for, for Steph Curry games since he got twistered uh, all those years ago. Um, and the point God title is online. There's so many kind of hidden subplots here. And I don't want to uh, kind of jump into a, a pre-Phoenix uh, preview sure. pod, but I think it's going to be super interesting. And this is this is as good as we got, right? We're prognosticators. We, we read the tea leaves and try to guess what's coming. The best signal we're going to get is against another Western Conference elite team that made the NBA Finals a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let's keep moving. Mike. Hey, Mike. Haven't seen you in a while. What's up, man? Let me unmute. Hey, how you guys doing? Yeah, it's been a little bit. I've been wanting to get on. <laughs> yeah, it's good, good to see you. Glad to be back. Haven't seen you since last season. How's it going? Yeah, man. Uh, I've been wanting to get back, and I'm glad I'm back. Good to see you guys. Um, I have uh, two things to say, and then I'm going to get off. Portland, uh, sorry, uh, Phoenix, paper champions right now. If you look at their <laughs> winning streak, they have played average or below average teams, the teams that they're supposed to beat. So I'm not really buying into this 15-gamer. Um they play a good team tomorrow night in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn. That'll be a challenge for them. And then, two, I don't think that they've seen the defense that we have. Yeah, I agree. Um, Mike, appreciate you checking in. That's an interesting point. So, like, I think it's going to be there's, – there's, like, two major sub subplots of the Phoenix game. And Andy and I are going to get into this after Sunday's game when it's, like, truly preview the Phoenix game time. But, like, one is – how do the Warriors deal with a mobile big who can rebound? I assume DeAndre DeAndre is a little up and down, but we saw in the playoffs when he's yep. engaged, he can be a problem. He can be, you know? Um, and the fact that he's not always engaged may be why Phoenix didn't offer him a max or, or maybe Robert Sarver's just, you know, that's a different, <laughs> that's a different topic, but like that, that's going to be interesting because like guys like Nurkic, it never really worry me with the Warriors. Like I know they can run him off the floor if they need to. Like if yep. he actually causes a problem for a for a quarter, it's like, all right, Draymond at the five. Let's run. Let's watch him. You know, kind of be like catching his breath the whole way, right? But exactly. someone like Aiton has the athleticism and mobility to hang with you. It's just a different challenge. I'm curious to see how it goes. Yeah, I think just Mike, I, I totally hear what you're saying. I'm looking back at the kind of teams that have been played. I will say there is you have to give credit where credit is due. They have taken care of business, and that's something that does deserve some plaudits. Um, it's it's not easy, right, to get up for 15 consecutive games given the level of competition. It's the NBA, right? Any given team, any given Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, whichever day the game is played, uh, you can lose to anyone. Um, so I think they do deserve credit for taking care of business, um, especially after kind of the early season chaos of Aiden not getting a max. Um, and then, of course, all the allegations against Robert Sarver and the Phoenix Suns culture. Um, and of course, you have decades of history kind of confirming what Sam only just hinted at, which is Sarver's unwillingness to potentially pay to keep great players on his team. So there's a there's a pretty solid team there. I, I'm interested to see. I'd love to see what they do tomorrow against the Nets. I'd love to see what happens next week. Um, for right now, 
I think what I index on is their ability in the playoffs, the growth of Aiton, as you said, Sam, makes a big difference for them because you can't just run him off the floor. You can certainly try and make him tired, but it's going to be a lot more difficult than running a Nurkic or a Whiteside or any of the other potpourri of centers that the, the Portland Trailblazers have trotted out against the Warriors over the years. Um, so it changes things. <laughs> exactly. Um, he didn't even play, right? He played in the preseason, but not tonight against the Warriors. There's a lot of the Suns have pieces. They made the finals, I think, deservedly last year, even if you account for injuries and all the other stuff that went on. They were a really solid team. So I think it's a good benchmark. Um, the jury's still out, though. Like you said, we're less than a quarter of the way through the season. A 15-game winning streak in the first quarter doesn't mean anything, you know, in the playoffs or it's the last 16 games of the, the regular postseason. Postseason, I should say more specifically, as Draymond said, that really count. Yeah, and and, and the, the last Phoenix point I'll put is I just don't know how the the Warriors and them match up per se. They play a different style. Like, yeah, I know how the Clippers match up with the Warriors. Like, they're missing Kawhi, which ultimately puts them in a talent deficit. But like, rangy team with multi positional wings who can switch everything. I know what they can quote unquote do against the Warriors. Yep. Phoenix, it's a little more traditional. You got two guards. You got a couple wings. You got kind of a traditional center, even if he is super mobile. Like it's just a different look. So it'll be it'll be cool to see how that goes. Absolutely. Um, and on on the other end, to Mike's point, yeah, they also haven't faced a defense that can switch everything like the Warriors. Like Chris Paul, Devin Booker, gonna be interesting to see how they deal. I I kind of I'm assuming Wiggins is gonna start on Booker. That would be my guess there. Um, Draymond will switch whatever the hell he feels like when he <laughs> feels like, and that usually is a good thing for the Warriors. It'll be a good one. All right, let's keep moving. Spring on. Oh, Jay, what's up, man? What's up, Sam? What's up, Big Nation? How's it going? It's good. Good to hear from you, Jay. It is. <laughs> I'm glad I could make an appearance on on the Light Years podcast. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if uh, many people. Well, yeah, nobody knows who I am, but. Yeah, I'm a Mavs fan, but I tangentially follow the Warriors mainly through y'all. So, um, you know, I would talk a little bit about in the past uh, certain things, uh, you know, similarities between the way that the Mavs and Warriors run their their franchises. Um, and, you know, obviously, like with with coaches being stubborn, um, playing young guys and things like that. Now the Mavs have a new coach and the Warriors actually have a new coach now, um, Steve 2.0. Curious to get <laughs> your guys' thoughts on, uh, you know, what what makes Steve 2.0 so uh, so much different than Steve 1.0? Okay, well, actually, this is a great point. So, like, I, I will say the similarity between the Mavericks and the Warriors starts and ends with uh, owners who are – very brash, very uh, self-made in uh, in tech, and they're just you, you'll. They just love when the microphone's put in front of them. I'll just put it that way. They're they're always willing to give a quote, um, even when it's advantageous for them not to. Hey, that, so, that's how I was able to get Mark Cuban on on my podcast. The the guy's always <laughs> willing to talk. <laughs> nice. So so what I was gonna say is. I don't know if this is true of the Mavericks, but what I think has made the Warriors successful going through it is Steve Kerr has been willing to at least listen and change. Like the Warriors refreshed their entire staff, Kenny Atkinson being the biggest name. Um, That's not something that I would say most 
multi-time champion, relatively accomplished coaches are always willing to do. Usually when you're that successful, you're not always willing to hear people's like criticism that you need to change and adapt and those sort of things. And so credit where credit due, like the Warriors, obviously the front office wanted to bring new voices in, but like Steve Kerr could have made that difficult. He could have been like, I've won three championships. I've been to five finals. I'm not looking for cliff notes from someone else. And he did, you know, he was open-minded to it. So I think that is really where the Steve 2.0 stuff comes from. Like we joke about like anytime they do something new, it's like, Oh, it's Kenny Atkinson. But it's like, it's really about just constantly wanting to evolve and kind of being open-minded to considering new ideas and, and, and just general self-evolution. I want to quickly like share an anecdote that people may remember, people may not, kind of at the tail end of the Mark Jackson tenure, which was the mm. whole like someone, one of the assistant coaches lost his parking spot. So he started recording meetings with Mark and the, just the fallout from all of that. Um, so the reason I bring it up is not because I want to poop on Mark Jackson. It's because even a coach that had yet to win anything as a coach was somewhat unwilling to kind of have his buttons pushed or like evolve or get with the times. So Sam, I, I 200% agree with you. I think for a coach like Steve Kerr who has won multiple titles, who has both as a player and as a coach to be willing and flexible to hear additional voices and inject the staff um, with kind of fresh ideas and, and listen to them. And this is a historic pattern, right? I think Nikki Wren was the person who brought up the idea of uh, starting Andre Godal in the finals and going small. Like this is a, a constant pattern and it shows the competitive nature and the willingness to be flexible for, for the, the Warriors uh, coaching staff. The, the addition to that that I'll make is the fact that the pragmatism that Steve Kerr has shown this year is something we've seen before, but it feels like the last two years, the, the realities of the roster just made it difficult for him to accept some of the sacrifices he'd have to make. Um, right. And I, I, I don't have like a ton of statistical evidence to back this up. It just feels like the hand that the Warriors started with was so like weak from a, from an overall perspective. And I had fears similar to in this season, because we only got two players on the minimum as the big key marquee additions. Uh, but the results have spoken for themselves. And I think it's a combination of just, better fits for the kind of offense and defense Steve Kerr wants to play combined with new ideas, new tweaks, whether that be steps rotation or tossing out the, the box in one or triangle in two against opposing players just for the, the hell of it or zone defenses. Um, the Gary Payton, the second kind of all these little moves, even playing Chris Chioza in, in this game, like it seems like everything's coming up Steve Kerr 2.0. And that's, you know, when you're on a hot streak, you got to ride it out as long as you can. And Steve Kerr is on a bit of a hot streak. Um, and credit for the entire uh, coaching staff, I think, is due for sure. Let's end it there. Appreciate everyone coming on. Um, Vinesh, appreciate you. You want to plug anything? Tell people where they can read you. <laughs> no specific plugs. Um, I write for a Fast Break, a Warriors fan blog hosted by the San Jose Mercury News. You go to blogs.mercurynews.com slash warriors. That's where you can find it. You can also follow me on Twitter. I tweet every article, and I like nearly all of Sam's tweets. Um, and retweet half of them. So <laughs> come check us out. Um, it's mostly written coverage, so probably a different audience, but I do my best to turn something out a couple hours after each game, which is exactly what I'm going to do right now. I'll write an article about this game. I appreciate you all. Yeah.